Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, everybody. Uh, today we have a guest who is going to educate us about cyber regulations, etc. But uh, this is an interesting topic for us because uh, no matter what industry or occupation uh, you're in, you, you can't help but become aware of the term cyber. Uh, cyber attacks. If you've had any attacks, you know what that is. Uh, cyber technology, etc. But this woman is going to tell us about policy and regulations and what goes into those regulations and, and how those regulations affect workforce. Uh, and and uh, beside that, she's going to talk about her life. And so we want to welcome Camille Stewart, who is a lawyer, Esquire. Uh, welcome, Camille. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So uh, Camille, as I said, is um, a policy expert, a, a wonk, I guess it is, a lawyer <laughs> wonk. Yes. Uh, and I met her, uh, my my long uh, arm for fishing people. Uh, I met her through a, a mutual contact uh, from Women in Technology. And uh, Camille uh, is chairing the Young Professionals Group. Yep. Right. Yeah. And uh, you were uh, before you you shared this, you had won an award. Want to tell us about that? Sure. So I became engaged with women in technology. I'd gone to a program or two and received the Rising Star Award in 2016 for rising leaders. Um, it was a great honor. And the warm reception, the welcoming community, the leadership within the organization, the caliber of women engaged really got me excited about the organization. And I decided to get more involved. Yeah. And so the young professional chair was transitioning out and I transitioned in. And yet, you know, that, that's very exciting. But it's also uh, exciting to know that, that you, are, you are personally experiencing the value of joining a group, joining a membership group, because people don't understand how important that can be in someone's career. Yes, building networks is extremely important. It has been the catalyst for most advances in my career, and I bet the same for most others. Well, let's talk about your career. Uh, you are a lawyer, uh, uh, but before you became a lawyer early on, uh, where were you from? What did you want to do when you were growing up? What didn't you do? <laughs> sure. So I actually always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. I'm from Ohio. My family's from Jamaica. Um, but I grew up in Ohio and always wanted to be a lawyer. My parents used to make me promises, and I would make them sign contracts. There would be a witness. There would be terms. Uh, it was serious. Um, and my dad is a computer scientist, and so I also grew up around technology quite a bit. So as I got older and started to really you know, cement where I wanted to go in my career, I had this conflicting interest of really wanting to be an attorney, but also wanting to operate in the tech space. So I went to Miami University for undergrad in Ohio and studied business because I knew that it would be a solid foundation both to go to law school and would give me some kind of technical acumen. 
And from there, I went to American University where I focused on intellectual property because that was my first idea of how I could engage tech through the law. So protecting people's intellectual property rights, their trademarks or copyrights, that kind of thing. After law school, I went to Cyvalence, which is a cybersecurity company, and quickly realized that my reach in tech could go much further than intellectual property. And that opened the aperture for me to continue to work on other things. I had previously worked on the Hill and done some other things. And so kind of pulling all of those different interests together is kind of how I found myself where I am now. Well, that's a, a lot of doing things <laughs> to end up in cybersecurity, cyber policy. So what exactly do you do? I mean, what exactly is policy and what is regulations? And why don't, you, why don't you explain that to us first? Yeah, so cyber policy kind of has broad reach. That term cyber um, can touch so much. Anything touching the Internet, anything touching technology, people kind of, it's a broad swath. If you're talking cybersecurity, it's about securing things on the Internet, securing things that use the Internet, securing things um, that facilitate, that, you know, like technology that connects to the Internet. If you're talking about cyber broadly, that could be Internet governance, how we use the Internet, who governs the Internet. That could be net neutrality, which is a big issue right now. That could be um, encryption and some of the other issues that we've seen bubble up. And that could even be things like cyber export controls, how we export that intellectual capital or the tools that we develop um, utilizing cyber to other countries and, and things like that. That, yeah, that reminds me, I had to laugh uh, because last night on uh, Madam Secretary. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> <laughs> did you see it last I night? I did not see last night's episode. Oh, so the, the, the government, the Mexican government, wanted us to, wanted us to give them the cyber uh, security software. And to give them that in return for <laughs> some favors on their part. So we had that with the Russian uh, manufacturer, right? The Krasinski? Oh, Kaspersky. Kaspersky. So some of the government agencies had purchased their software yeah. and were using their antivirus on their systems. And, but. and, and so, so what is, you know, this is always so mystifying to me that you have, we're, we're selling our software, to countries uh, where we don't know whether cyber is a, a national issue or it's a personal issue, whether it's a crime or it's a, a state-run crime. Uh, we're selling the, the, our, our secrets to all these countries in return for something. I don't know what it is. How, where do you see the, the nexus or the problem of, of all this? So there are definitely limits on how we export cyber capabilities, software, things like that. And so there's a whole apparatus about controlling the exports and who can get what. And um, that's a whole conversation for another day. <laughs> okay. um, but cyber is an international issue. And quite frankly, we have to be engaging our partners to be resilient um, because the Internet doesn't stop here. Right. You are one click away from Mexico, from China, from wherever. Um, and so working with our partners and on an international scale is an important part of it. But this also boils down to the local level as well, to the individual level. We all need to understand how technology is used in our day to day lives how it um, can affect our finances, can affect how we use our homes, how we are connected. Um, at this point, you know, everybody owns some kind of Internet of Things device, some kind of Internet connected device and has little thought to how it connects to the Internet and how they're securing it. So whether that's your Apple Watch or your Fitbit 
or your thermostat at home, all of those things connect to the internet. And one of the most basic things is you've not changed any of the passwords, right? That's very basic. And most of us don't change them. But because the passwords aren't changed, people can use that technology, use the signals that run through your device to create attacks, kind of like the Dyn attack that happened last year. Yeah. So if we were to focus on the cyber policy, cyber regulations, at the global level, at the national level, and at the individual level, where are we most vulnerable? So education, lack of education and understanding of technology is what makes us most vulnerable because most attacks could be thwarted if people didn't click the link in a phishing attack or understood what they were looking at. Most attacks happen because of cyber hygiene or lack of cyber hygiene. And cyber hygiene is doing some of those simple things like having antivirus software, like understanding what a phishing link looks like. So if someone sends you an email that um, is spoofing an email address of someone you know or someone you could know that you understand what to look for and when to ask questions about something, right? If you haven't been in communication with your bank, but all of a sudden you get an email from your bank asking you to click on something, you probably shouldn't. If it's your bank, you can go to your account and get that same information in a way that you know is secure and legitimate, right? Um, so most things boil down to those cyber hygiene things. Nation state attacks, um, attacks by groups like, you know, uh, cyber hacktivists, all of those things usually happen through some kind of human error. Really? Not all of them, but a, a majority. So, so at the individual level, to protect their own, their own information and their own privacy and et cetera, uh, there's hygiene. You call it hyg cyber hygiene. Cyber yep. hygiene. Uh, a lot of people I know refuse to, you know, they refuse to, uh, that's, a, that's a broad statement, they refuse to uh, sign up for anything that is digital, anything in their internet savvy. Is that smart? I mean, should they avoid? I mean, that's their right, right? So my biggest piece of advice is, is to understand the things that you are either accepting or, or declining, right? Because then you're making an informed decision. So you and your risk calculus might be different from mine. I might say it's worth the risk for me to have the convenience of a home thermostat that I can control from my phone because I know that I will either do the things to protect myself or I'm willing to accept whatever risk comes after that. And you might say, no, I don't know how to change the Wi-Fi password. I don't know how to change this. And so, therefore, it's just not a risk I'm willing to take. I'll pref I prefer a normal thermostat that I can control by hand. That's fine. Not, no decision's wrong. It's just about educating yourself so you can make an informed decision. You know, you make some very valid points, and I wonder whether or not communications doesn't play a part in this. Definitely. Because, I mean, we have everybody who's a, from the Generation Z and beyond <laughs> to post-baby boomers in, in the marketplace. And directions on how to change passwords is one direction. It's one way of saying it. And everything, every direction, every set of instructions, I mean, I, I get confused reading instructions. Is that true for other people, too? Yes, people definitely get uh, confused with instructions. And... Cyber is one of those areas that is multidisciplinary, and that's that's a, a banner I carry quite a bit. And even in the work that I'm doing with women in technology, you know, we and we 
purport the broadest definition of tech, right? Whether that is a marketing person who works at a tech company, whether that is the sales arm of a tech company, whether you just have an interest in tech, at a base level, every company is becoming a technology company because every company has technology in-house, is on the internet, is using the internet, and most of their work is facilitated through technology and the internet, right? So everyone has some kind of tech nexus, but even beyond that, the most effective way to promote cybersecurity is to have all stakeholders involved. So that's leadership, that's leadership who focus on technology, your marketing uh, C-suite marketing officer, your C-suite communications officer, your finance officer, all of those people need to be engaged in how a company moves and promotes cybersecurity. Well, the thing that interests me that you just said is uh, the marketing person and the communications person. Uh, let me just let me give you this example. The uh, directions that came with my printer from HP mm-hmm. were all Greek to me. Yeah. <laughs> is language another <laughs> another uh, example of what skill they need in the communication? So that's often the role that I play in many of the organizations I'm in. I surround myself with technologists, but I'm often the translator between tech speak, something that's heavy, you know, heavily full of jargon and colloquial language, right? Because at a base level, we need to break this stuff down so that people can understand it. So that's a perfect example of how people from other disciplines are important to people understanding the tools that they're using, the technology that they're using, and how to protect themselves. I have an idea. If they could organize any any communications with the outside world, people like us, mm-hmm. like me, uh, According to their skill level, like basic, <laughs> intermediate, <laughs> advanced. I mean, you could have a senior person be at the uh, uh, senior level and a senior person being at the basic level. Yeah. So, so either way, you know, they that, we solve the problem. No, so go to the, go to the, the board meetings and tell them that. This is why STEM education is important, right? There's right. a there's a need for people to understand at a base level what technology is, what the sciences are, how math works, how um, math plays a role in the algorithms that are happening behind the technology you're using. Because just with that base level understanding, you're more apt to be willing to figure out how to solve your problem or you're more adaptable to the problem that you're facing, right? Um, And so you're right. There's going to be a a gap in people who are getting up to speed on technology, and that could be at any level in the game. But if STEM education is a consistent theme at schools, it will help. So you're a strong supporter of from K on? Yes, K on. There are some wonderful programs, uh, and they're growing with their STEM boot camps and et cetera. I just uh, did a program with uh, in Maryland. It was the uh, STEM uh, STEM uh, conference uh, 2017, and they covered uh, apprenticeships too in oh, STEM. Wonderful. But blue collar STEM. Having, how many people think about blue collar STEM? Most people don't. People don't quite realize just how pervasive STEM is and how much fun it can be, right? They don't think about the fact that the technology that they're holding in their hands, their video games, their, you know, stoves, their smart fridge, their watch, you know, are things that flow from STEM, right? Those are tech tools. Those are opportunities for you to learn STEM. Um, And so gamification of STEM curriculum is often a a method to get people engaged because people want to engage in a way that's interesting and intriguing. You say STEM, but more and more I hear STEM, STEAM. 
Steam is so important. It is. I mean, we were just talking about websites, right? And right. how um, how it needs how the user interface needs to be appealing, right? And much of what's happening in STEM is about look and feel and and things like that. And the part of your brain that engages in the arts um, often is tied to to STEM aptitude, right? Like if you can if you can um, think creatively and think outside of the box that's critical thinking that flows into stem issues right you need to be able to think outside of the box to solve the the challenges that are coming right and so steam is actually the word of the day i like steam better okay <laughs> well i'm a yang in steam so it's knowing when to you know it's knowing when you're in over your head yeah. <laughs> you get somebody who has a steam uh, background and and there are different jobs i mean yeah. there, what can you go through, through some of the jobs that are that you see emerging in that in the for area steam and, and in cyber too okay i mean UX, which is user interface, like design, that is a great coming together of all of those things, right? User design is about it being visually appealing, but it's also technology and coding and all of these things that are happening in the background to get you that user interface that's really beautiful. Um, in cyber, there are a number of different jobs. I mean, my job as a cyber attorney or as a cyber consultant are all things that are really new and up and coming and still being defined and evolving. Um, there are uh, cyber comms is a new thing that people cyber are com? talking. What yeah, is that? cyber what? communications, right? Oh, people who are in the communications field who focus on being that translation point and getting the information across in a way that people can digest it. Um, so really anything can have a cyber bend to it or a technology bend to it. What do you think some, a, a person starting at, in case on up should uh, should have absolute minimum knowledge of STEM. What 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 is the in your mind? What is the minimal knowledge that they I have? I mean, to have? some basic coding at least would be great. You don't have to become a coder, but basic coding helps you understand and have an appreciation for the tools that you're using, as well as some basic security. That cyber hygiene that we talked about before. The earlier you teach that, the the easier it is for someone to identify a phishing attack, identify spoofing, identify some of these things that are becoming very commonplace and avoid them. You know, uh, I recently attended a, a meeting uh, and it was a, it was in a company that trains on hacking, mm -hmm. cyber hacking. And I was amazed that uh, A, how I, they, we could see where somebody entered the system at a certain time and, you know, they, they moved around and they got... Yeah, you know, they they got to the next step, uh, and so I was amazed, and I was also amazed that people who don't have to be a technology major, they yeah. they had they had a, a an older person who was a, a philosophy major working it. Yeah, there are a number of different programs like that. Um, the Atlantic has. Uh, cyber 912 which is in the cyber policy space rather than purely technical and they work on issues like what I was working on when I was in the government they um, talk about how the government and how industry will mobilize around a cyber attack and they play that out so they have multidisciplinary teams so you've got somebody from the law school somebody from the grad school from the business school from wherever who are interested in this topic and they bring them all together to show them how a multitude of disciplines coalesce around this issue in real life. Who is this, Atlantic? Yeah, the Atlantic Council. 
of the Atlantic Council. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's that's interesting to know. So yeah. so people are exploring and experimenting with different ways that that people can come together and solve a problem, yeah. a STEM problem. And how they can engage on this issue earlier, right? Like there was never a cyber policy competition like that when I was coming up in school, even in grad school. So now for students to have the opportunity to early be able to do things that were brand new when I was in the, when I, you know, as someone in the workforce, um, that's an amazing opportunity to be able to think through those things. Cyber policy was not something you could have studied 10, 20 years ago. And so now not only can you study it, but you can also compete in that area. That's great. <laughs> it's amazing, but it's great. I know. So I asked you about what jobs you see emerging in cyber, but what do you see as the issues of cyber and going forward? I and mean, where do you see the, the attention being placed on so the I think the issue of today is IoT, Internet of Things, right? That that connected devices that we talked about and how we can secure those and how we can educate people on securing those and how we can prevent things like the dying attack that happened where people leveraged your internet connection from your internet connected devices to to create an attack, right? So that's gonna be a big thing right now. And then continuing to figure out how we or what we require from companies in the event of a breach, right? They're inevitable. Breaches will happen, size, scale, all of those things will differ, impact all of those. But how do we demand from them notification? How do we punish them for not doing the things that they're supposed to do? What is the liability there? Those are all things that we'll continue to litigate around, legislate around, and develop policy around. Yeah, um, one of the things you said about uh, knowledge and, and how they how people work together and how the the industry is uh, emerging and evolving. Uh, I heard uh, when I first got interested in in this world of cyber, uh, I heard a speaker, a woman from uh, Wit, actually, and she's in healthcare, mm-hmm. and she gave an example of where we're vulnerable. And somebody from East, you know, East Cupcake <laughs> for one of another country uh, decides that they want to sabotage uh, a person mm-hmm. and they get their pacemakers. Pacemakers. Is that there possible? There are a number of health, health devices that are connected to the Internet that could be hacked. And, you know, the healthcare industry has taken a lot of hits recently with ransomware and things like that. Um, And so there's a heavy focus on building more resilient devices and best practices to kind of prevent things like that. But that is a big concern. It has yet to happen um, in a way that has, you know, mobilized people or or scared people. But it is there's a potential threat there. Well, ransomware, I think, is is insidious. It's 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 yeah. uh, Ransomware isn't new. It's just elevated in the public consciousness. But it is annoying, (laughs) to say the very least, and disruptive. Who are the people? Anyone, any low level hacker can do ransomware, right? You just encrypt some encrypt somebody's files if they don't have duplicates, if they have not, you know, properly. built resilient systems, then you've got their data and they have no way to access it. And especially in the healthcare space where you've got people whose lives are on the line, you need to act. And so that might mean paying the ransom so that you can get the data. They actually had an episode of Grey's Anatomy about this. Okay. <laughs> we get our information. From I know, right? TV, Grey's Anatomy, Sec- Madam Secretary. Exactly. I mean, it's not completely accurate, but that's that kind of mm-hmm. fear, that panic that 
you know, healthcare providers feel when their information is locked down and you've got people whose lives are in jeopardy and reliant on this information. So what do we do next? And that's a real concern. And so that that creates another field of study for the corrections officers and the field in corrections and what how to how to punish those people who are <laughs> Well, the problem is how do you identify them? Especially when they re- require you to pay them in things like Bitcoin that are hard to trace and, and things like that. There are a number of different techniques that they're using so that even if you're able to, to thwart the attack, you may not be able to find them. Ah, but some energetic, inquisitive person can can uh, go on the hunt, and that's another yeah. occupation. Another example was... Uh, uh, you're in your car, your your autonomous car. Oh gosh, autonomous vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> and you're There's driving so much down there. highway to A, and all of a sudden you're veered off, and yes. you're going into the water. So, the- I mean, there's so much there, but I will say that the government automakers, they are all working feverishly on cybersecurity around autonomous vehicles because there is such a concern there and such a concern for loss of life, right? Because vehicles are moving at high speed. If there's no one to control it, I mean, there's a there's a lot there and there is a lot of work going on in the government around that. Back to what you do, though, uh, I want you to, uh, to share something about a podcast series that you have. Yeah. Uh, but before I, I go there, I want to say thank you for uh, your your insight, your sage advice on careers in cyber uh, is scary, but worthwhile to hear. But a lot of fun. My, I get most of my enjoyment because there's so much unknown, and that's that creative space to kind of figure out where we're going next, where the law is going. So, now, so tell us about your podcast and their name and what you're doing. Yeah, so I started a podcast called Hustle Over Entitlement with my co-host, Gabriella Ziccarelli, and we focus on highlighting the stories of trailblazers and risk takers in their careers across industries. So many people these days are finding themselves charting their own course professionally and figuring out what they want to do with a number of different passions. We talk about and talk to people who have found ways to kind of pull all those things together, chart a new course, have overcome hardships, have overcome, you know, tests and trials and really have had successful careers and are trailblazers. So please visit hustleoverentitlement.com and check us out. And so if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Camille ESQ or visit my website, CamilleStewart.com. All right. So... We uh, thank you again for appearing tonight and uh, today, and so we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.